Hello, everyone, and welcome to our monthly podcast entitled The Last Mile of Disinflation. It is the 19th of February. My name is Lorna Denny, and I'm joined today by Antoine Machado and Alex Byrne. It has been said many times that the last mile of disinflation is the most difficult, with markets betting on the timing of the first cut in interest rates. Every monthly inflation number is both eagerly anticipated and closely analysed for clues. Today, we will discuss progress towards sustainably lower inflation and how bumps in the road could bring further divergence in equity and bond market performance. But first, Alex, perhaps you could give us more context as to how the major asset classes have performed over the first weeks of the year. Thank you, Lorna. Unlike the broad positivity we saw in Q4 of 2023, performances in January have been much more mixed at the start of this year. The market was driven by good growth data, a reassessment about how dovish central banks would be within its environment, i.e. the size and the frequency of rate cuts being ratcheted down. That knocked down fixed income and growth sectors globally. Some riskier areas were supported also by the likelihood of softish landing increasing, and the S&P reached an all-time high with this narrative in place. Commodities, especially oil, continues to benefit from global supply uncertainty, most pertinent at the moment, the situation around the Suez Canal. That's very useful. Thank you. Antoine, if we could dive a little deeper in what has been quite a marked divergence in performance between the major equity markets and the bond markets. Yes, Lorna, it's the central theme of our podcast today. We're in the last mile of disinflation. That means remaining volatility in markets as the rate of disinflation should be lower than last year. The volatility should remain above all in bond asset classes, depending on potential surprises on inflation and growth data. As economic data related to growth is still showing the resilience in U.S. economy, for example, indicators like manufacturing or services PMI, and while inflation persists but still slowing, equities tending to perform well above all in the United States. Artificial intelligence story also is still a boost for U.S. equities and U.S. tech stocks specifically, supported by earning expectation for the main big tech like Meta, NVIDIA or Amazon that are doing quite well also this year. For bond market, it's another story. A stronger growth data and less deceleration and inflation led investors to re-estimate the Fed potential rate cuts into the back end of the year. Moreover, the recent development in the Red Sea suggests that the inflation impact of the Middle East crisis could take a different form than the usual oil prices shock as supply chains are starting to be disrupted again. So this context led a repricing of the U.S. yield curve. We say in financials markets a bear flattening mode with a rise of short-term interest rates a bit more than the 10-year interest rates. I would like also to add something. If above average volatility remains in this last mile of disinflation, we should see a decorrelation between equities and bonds like we had since the beginning of the year, which is a better environment for multi-asset managers. That's a very good point. Thank you for that, Antoine. Back to interest rate cuts then, markets were confidently predicting six rate cuts for 2024 at the tail end of last year. What are the latest market expectations exactly? Well, that prediction fell to five cuts a couple of weeks ago, but now it's less than four cuts for this year. 
According to the Fed fund futures, the Fed rate should be around 440 at the end of the year versus 530, the current level. One month ago, if we look at what was priced in the Fed fund future, the Fed fund future was at 375%. So a major revision for market participants for this year. So we can say that the market is joining quite quickly the Fed forecast of three cuts this year. So 75 basis points that we can expect according to the Fed forecast. Yes, and the Fed has been managing these expectations pretty well. But dare I ask them, what would be, in your estimation, the timing of the first cut? Markets opened the year with bets of the first cut as early as March. But now it's more in June. Fed governors have tried to dampen market expectation amid concerns that more favorable financial conditions could reinit inflation. At 3.1% year-over-year in U.S. and 2.8% in Eurozone, inflation remains above central bank targets and the near-term path of inflation is somewhat uncertain. It is true that Underlying global good price inflation has turned to its pre-COVID levels. Core U.S. price inflation was just 1.8% in December and was negative in the Eurozone. However, concerns remain over wage growth and the potential impact on inflation from disruption to global supply chains that could result from various geopolitical tensions. So, first cut not likely until June, and we still forecast three cuts for this year in our central economic scenario. That's useful, thank you. But the Fed has already thrown so much at the US economy in terms of trying to restrain demand via interest rate hikes. What can the Fed now do to squeeze inflation right back down to its 2% target? Well, school of thought that inflation was in fact transitory after all, as Powell used to say. That's true for the bulk of inflation, as the big jump in inflation was mainly a result of supply-side issues during the pandemic, and also the rise of energy prices with the reopening post-COVID and Ukraine war. But the Fed must ensure inflation expectations and avoid a new restart fueled by permanent rising wage growth, or if uncertainties in the Middle East and China-US trade war push prices up. To ensure inflation expectation, what can do the Fed? Well, I think no choice for the Fed to keep restrictive financial conditions with higher for longer rates and reduction of the central bank balance sheet. The difficulty for the Fed is to target the right level of interest rates that can keep the soft landing cycle of U.S. economy and avoid the hard landing of the U.S. economy. The very steep jump in interest rates that we saw might not be directly responsible for the falling back of inflation, but it certainly does seem to be bearing down on economic growth in some of the major economies, Alex. Indeed, it might not be the only actor upon inflation, but interest rate cuts are continuing to have an expected effect on demand, stifling growth by cutting the disposable incomes of consumers and making the potential for companies to invest in growth less enticing. The UK consumer has been hit by a string of headwinds, including in the cost of living crisis, inflation, energy prices and interest rates pushing the overall UK into recession territory this quarter. The likelihood of recession in the powerhouse of the German economy is also increasing, slowing 
going overall in 2023 and the fourth quarter, there are few signs there's a recovery happening in 2024 thus far. The economy here being hurt by the slowdown in China, the overall demand for industrial equipment also down given the lack of investment from companies, as mentioned earlier, as well as the lack of demand for Germany's cars as consumers globally rethink those big spending items until financing rates are more attractive. And forecasts for growth going forward are also being cut. Yes, as mentioned on Germany, things broadly do not look like they are changing anytime soon. Inflation is coming down. The impact of high levels take a long time to come through, though, and the effect lags significantly. Additionally, real interest rates, that is rates above inflation, are moving up. The spectre of soft landings is coming more and more into view globally. We continue to see growth forecasts being cut across a number of sectors and regions without any great potential stimulus coming through to support growth. Governments are stretched. Companies and consumers aren't in an advantageous position to invest. It's unclear where the upside is coming from. And yet, the US economy, still by far the biggest in the world, continues to power ahead. Yes, if we look at the Atlanta GDP now, growth indicator, it looks at a slight acceleration in growth to 3.4% in Q1, so quite resilient growth. Also, when we look at last indicators like ISM services and manufacturing, and also the January non-farm payroll, the data surprised on the upside, showing a still strong U.S. economy. As ever, a lot is riding on the strength of the U.S. consumer. We could see further softening here after January. Indeed, the lagged policy tightening effect slower economic growth, tax rate and savings normalization should all slow growth over coming quarters, according to our economists. What you have told us sounds reassuring in the medium term, although there could perhaps be scope for market disappointments as you say volatility in the meantime. In the light of all this, what adjustments have we made to our tactical asset allocation recently? As the market dynamics remain favorable and economic data remains strong, especially in the US, this gives us some comfort that markets will remain well supported in the near term. So we are more optimistic in US and Japan equities and move to moderate overweight on both. Regarding US economy, it continues to perform above expectation, continue to be resilient, as we said, and supported by strong labor markets, as we saw in January, and also corporate earnings that should continue to benefit from artificial intelligence and also U.S. consumer support. While there is a further room to disappointment on markets' expectation regarding the timing of interest rate cuts, it is postponed to June, as we said, but we view this as more of an issue for the bond market and less for the equity market, which is beginning to turn its attention more to the soft landing, the earnings rebound, and less on economic slowdown. Regarding Japan, we have favorable trends again that make the market more attractive. It will continue to benefit from a stronger global economy driven by the US, but also the domestic demand picture continues to improve in Japan. In addition, with the yen having weakened again in recent weeks toward the historical bottom of 150 versus the US dollar, we see an upside boost from the currency also on this market. Within fixed income, we maintain our stance, remaining neutral duration. However, we look to add risk in emerging market debt. Despite all spread asset classes, I've seen credit spread tighten in recent months. Spread in EMD, 
are more attractive in a historical context and should be supported by solid fundamentals also. Thank you very much for that update. And Alex, before we go, a quick update, please, on the extraordinary election timetable for 2024. Indeed, with some extraordinary results already. We've got the continuation of the recent past in Indonesia, one of the world's largest democracies, where the former incumbent son, the 36-year-old, comes in as the vice president. Pakistan sees itself mired in uncertainty with admittance of vote rigging and jailed candidates. The EU votes in June, with populist candidates leading the polls in almost every country, therefore likelihood of uncertainty, infighting and self-interested bound to increase. And the main event culminating in the US in November, Trump's road to the Republican Party nomination could be set before the end of the week if challenger Nikki Haley fails to turn around polls in her home state of South Carolina, which votes on Saturday. Following this, Trump faces the current president bogged down in a continual allegation around his capacity and memory. Conversely, it seems Trump can do no wrong with every guilty verdict and fight to pay with his lead increasing. The US elections will have also the greatest consequence for global trade as well as for global geopolitics. We will, of course, be monitoring these events closely. Thank you both very much indeed. Thank you, Lorna. Thank you, Lorna.